This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Elena Johnson, Dr. Elena Johnson, founder of Parenting Talent LLC, and you're an author and psychologist with 20 years of clinical experience. Welcome to the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, I want to let people know if you can see that little icon up there, like uh, listen on Newsly. We are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. People might not know about that platform, but if you use that coupon code to ghost, you can check it out for 30 days for free. Again, we are a featured podcast on that platform. If you like to listen to podcasts, audio only, the audio only version of this podcast will be on that platform later today. And then the other thing we want to talk about today is we're going to be discussing the book, Parenting Talent, The Growing Up's Guide to Supporting Creatively Driven Teens and Tweens. That's kind of the focal point. But before I get into all that, I usually ask um, a question, like what motivates you and why do you do what you do? Oh, I love that question. Um, and it's always a fun one to answer. So um, <laughs> why do I do what I do? Which definitely ties into what motivates me. Um, I am a clinical psychologist by training. So I spent years working in a children's hospital and I work with um, children and teens, um, some young adults. And then um, I also had this other interest at the same time while I was getting my degree in um, mothers and mothering and, you know, maternal development. So I always had these kind of two interests that were playing at the same time throughout my career. And then I actually became a mother myself. And I had this general idea of what that would look like. Um, turns out it was nothing like what it would look like. But um, I have three boys. And um, when you have three boys, and this was completely wrong of me, wrong assumption, shouldn't have done it. I own that. But in the back of my mind, it was just like, oh, okay, it's going to be sports all the time. Um, and with my oldest, he was very interested in sports. He was very good at sports. Um, and it didn't even really occur to us to maybe nudge him into other things. I always wanted my children to play an instrument. So he did start playing piano. And he picked it up very quickly and he enjoyed it. Never had to try to get him to practice or anything, but we just didn't focus on it that much. And then we had my second son. And uh, the way I like to tell the story about him was when we introduced the idea of sports to him, he looked at us and said, why would I want to play a game where someone would throw a ball at my head? So this was not his area of interest. <laughs> he was not going to be playing baseball. He kind of reluctantly, when all his other friends were playing soccer, said, I guess I'll give it a, a chance. And I very much remember saying to my husband and some people around us, like, you know, that he's going to be the one out there, you know, picking daisies. And I was totally wrong. To be fair, I was wrong. I forgot where we live and that he would actually be picking dandelions while he was lying down in the middle of the game, not paying attention. So not his thing, but he was always into anything creative. And I'll never forget when he was about uh, probably, I think he was maybe three or so very young. Um, by then my third child had been born and I was in a different room speaking with my husband and we heard what we thought was our oldest sing. And we were shocked because he belted this perfect note. And we went in there to say, oh my gosh, you know, that's amazing. We didn't know you could sing. And my husband didn't say anything though when he went in the other room and he came back and he looked at me and he goes, that was the middle child. And he was only three. He's the one that I say dragged me kicking and screaming into kind of this whole professional side of things. The creative arts I love. I had no problem with that. Totally into performing arts. We said, hey, this is what you're interested in. Let's go for it. We got him involved in all sorts of things. But he was driven in a very different way from a very young age. And at three and a half, he actually came to me and said, 
can you get me an agent? Wow. After I picked my jaw up off the ground, I said, I don't think you know what that is. And he said, yes, I do. It's somebody who get me on TV, right? <laughs> so my response to that, and be careful what you say. My response to that was, no, sweetie, those kids are weird and their parents are weirder. Fast forward three and a half years later. Uh, well, no, three and a half years later, I guess, four and a half years later when he's nine. I am the weirder mother who is closing her private, successful private practice to go to Broadway with her child while he plays young Simba in The Lion King. Wow. So he did that for the better part of a year between the ages of nine and 10. He always knew what he wanted. Um, he appeared on some television shows as well. We are located in Chicago, so we haven't actually lived in LA where he could have probably really gone wild with things, but it's been a nice balance. And my youngest child, um, Kind of, you know, we wondered at one point, you know, are you just doing this because your brothers are interested? Because he's watching his brothers have all this fun. Meanwhile, my older one that I had not really recognized that he also had this major affinity for the arts asked us to get him a guitar for his, uh, I think like his maybe 11th, maybe when he was 11 for Christmas. And we said, sure, because he wanted to teach himself how to play. And after a few months, he came to us and said, this is really hard. Can I take lessons this summer? And we said, sure, no problem. And he took to his lessons immediately, had a great time. And at one point I looked up, he's, you know, doing all these, he's singing. We didn't know he could sing. That was another thing. He decided to do summer camp with his middle school. And we have an award-winning middle school theater program here. So especially because it was award-winning, we were like, oh yeah, go have fun. But, you know, he'll, you know, he's going to be like in the third row or whatever. And he came back with a named part, which we said, what, what? And went on to have great success through that program throughout and had a blast. And he kind of hit the fork in the road in that program. Once he got, you can start that program in fourth grade, but is in camp. But once he got to sixth grade and was actually in the school, he had to make some choices because by then he was also doing travel, travel basketball. He did love sports. And wow. I remember we had a point where we're like, you can't do both. I mean, he, he did, he did the fall musical, but like, you can't do the spring musical and do travel basketball. And he said, well, I'm going to do basketball. And we said, okay. And it was probably four days after the cast list came out that he came to us really upset and said, I made the wrong choice. I should have done a musical. By then he was doing a lot of stuff with his guitar. So he decided he wasn't going to do travel basketball at all. He doubled down on guitar, waited for the next musical and was in every musical for the rest of his middle school career. And then for high school, it was guitar all the time. That was his primary thing. Now he's a young adult and he's actually pursuing a career as a guitarist. He's in a band. He sings backups there and doing some production and really happy with what he's doing. I have the middle son who has never, ever stopped singing. There is always singing in this house. A little behind the scenes, you know, as we're getting ready for this, you're kind of telling me, you know, oh, make sure, you know, you have your do not disturb on. No, in my house, it's did you put the sign up saying mom is doing a live stream, do not sing. That's what you have to put up in my house. So <laughs> you didn't tell me to do that, but I assure you that sign has been put up just to make sure. <laughs> that they, that's yeah, not <laughs> There's not belting in the background. And my youngest, um, he's always been a little bit of my rebel. So he also took piano. The other two were doing piano, but then he decided he didn't want to play piano, that he wanted to play drums. And he said, fine. He followed his, uh, my middle son into the professional side of things. And he does, he's done some regional theater. He's made some appearances on TV as well. Um, so all of this is to say, I have this whole interest in clinical psychology and this whole world where I've done adolescence things and, and, and parent things. And then I end up with these three kids who are passionate about the creative arts. 
throughout my journey with that, what I was finding was I was going, okay, I want to support this. How do I support this? What, what am I missing? What should I be doing? Is there anything extra I should be doing? And so I would do the research. You know, I went through grad school. I'm a natural researcher and I'm doing all this research and I'm looking and there was tons of information out there about how to get your kids to be more creative, but not a lot about what's going on with kids who are, who are already creative right. and how to nurture that and support that. So that made me kind of go, hmm, th th this, this is odd. I would have thought there would have been more about this. At the same time, I'm spending a lot of time sitting on benches, waiting for kids to get out of lessons, waiting for kids to get out of rehearsals. And I'm talking to other parents. And little by little, I'm noticing the same questions are coming up over and over and over again. And some of them I'm answering because by now I'm able to kind of put together, well, I've got this clinical background, I've got my instinct as a mom. Then on top of that, I've been doing some research and kind of figured out some of the things. So I'm starting to kind of put some things together and I'm answering questions for people. And when it really clicked was when we went to Broadway, when I went to Broadway with my son, and now we're surrounded by all these kids who are, you know, passionate about this at an entirely different level because professional theater is a grind. If a child is doing that, if they are on Broadway, they love it because they are they're doing nine performances a week. This is this is a passion for them. And I'm realizing the questions are exactly the same. So whether it was at a community level and just for fun or these kids who are like, no, I'm in. I understand I have to work an adult job and go to school. The questions were the same. And that was kind of where the idea of how can I more formally support parents so that led to me writing the book. And then I started a company where I coach parents as well as studio owners and young adults, um, some teens around kind of just what does it mean to be a performing artist? How do you nurture that? And how do you have a really healthy relationship with your art and helping parents make sure that they are doing things to help their child have a healthy relationship with their art? Yeah, because I was wondering, there's always some kind of, there's a, some negative connotations toward like stage parents. And some people have felt like if you've read a lot of biographies of teen superstars or people who were teen superstars, there tends to be some really like bad moments <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and maybe like not the right things. And so everybody probably has read these stories or heard about these stories and probably doesn't want to be that, that stage parent. <laughs> Absolutely. Nobody wants to be that. And the problem comes in. If you look at the, the common thread in all these stories, the common thread is most of those kids are actually going to be um, television camera actors because the, the money in theater, that's going to be really hard for the family to live off of that one. But the, the common thread is the child is the primary financial provider. And mm. that is what completely messes everything up. So it's really frustrating because I see all these parents who are wonderful and supportive and as I said, it's like me, their child dragged them kicking and screaming into this world. They didn't want, this wasn't something they were pursuing. It wasn't something they were thinking about. And their child just wanted it, wanted it, wanted it. And so they're doing the right things. They're helping them, supporting them. And they are not relying on that child's income for anything. Hmm. You know, with, with my son, for example, we told him, we're like, well, we're going to go from two incomes, one household to two households on one income. You're going to have to help if you want to do certain things in New York. And we were very transparent with him. He knew that. He understood what was going to happen. But there wasn't this sense of you are now going to have to support the family if we take you to New York and do this. So that tends to be the common thread. You know, even if you think of like if people are familiar with the musical Gypsy, that that was Mama Gypsy was relying on her kids to support the family. So that's yeah. when 
you've crossed a line very, into a very unhealthy dynamic. Imbalance, like like so that like from a family psychology thing because there's roles. Absolutely. And I guess you know, like there's traditional roles. Not everybody has to fit roles. And I guess you could be more, you know, open to different types of roles. But having a child take a parent role is probably maybe not the best thing because they're not mature enough and you're not maybe they're not in the, they're not in the right position in life to they're take not, on that responsibility, right? They're not mature enough, they're not in the right position, they don't have the option to decide they want to stop and quit. My kids have each taken breaks at different points because that's what they wanted to do. If you're the one mm -hmm. who's putting bread on the table, you don't have that option, the pressure to succeed, the pressure and what's hard for professional kids is that the reality is when you hit a certain point in development, the roles really shrink because it is mm. a lot easier and more efficient when you're dealing with a teenager for production to hire an adult who looks young, because then you don't have to worry about things like how many hours can this person work? And um, they have to have a set tutor there. And there's just a lot of things that are just a lot easier. So I tell people sometimes when they're a little confused going, um, why are these high schoolers look like they're in their twenties? I'm going, cause they are. Because they were probably yeah. highlighted and keen, but the show was successful. So now they're 26. Yeah. This... <laughs> so there's tremendous yeah, pressure. Yeah, then, then, then you get the pressure of like getting typecast, you know, Absolutely. and then like, like if you're doing it because you love it rather than, you know, like getting kind of thrown into a niche and being stuck in the niche, mm -hmm. that's always been like that, that kind of killer of your passion. Because yes. if the reason why you probably have a, kid that's really into creativity is because they're very passionate about it and they've got this like this this kind of thing inside them and they're connecting to that muse however they're doing it but they're able to do it absolutely to, like somebody you know, being a music, yeah i mean so if you can do that in thing, their soul this is what they do yeah, in their do, soul it's who they are but when you take the fun out of it not that discipline is taking the fun out of it because there's discipline and everything you got to practice. You got to get to a certain level. Absolutely. But when when it suddenly isn't fun for you and you don't really want to be on the stage, like you don't really want to be playing the guitar, but you're kind of stuck in the contract, then then you're like, oh, how did I get there? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I and I talk about that even on a lesser level with parents about, you know, what do you do if your child's committed to a show or they're in dance and they're committed to the recital and choreography has already been figured out all around them. And I completely agree. It's absolutely fine to say to them, well, you made a commitment and you need to honor your commitment. But when that is over, when the end of the season is over, you can do something else. But of course, that's the difference between if it's a hobby or even if a child was in a show, for example, and they finished a run, the show ended, and they said, you know, I just want to go to regular high school for a while. Well, yeah, if, if you're not financially dependent on that child, you say, great, no problem. Yeah. And you let their agent know, we're going to take a break. They're going to keep up with classes, but they're just going to kind of go be a regular kid for a while because that's what they want to do and that's healthy. And that's that difference that happens. It's also interesting because a lot of times in life, you know, a lot of parents are kind of against the arts like when they see the arts well that's not something they want somebody to go to math uh tutor school or physics tool school they want to have them start already trying to be a, a surgeon level you know they're, they're trying to put them into the traditional roles of what they think a person should be mm -hmm. and a lot it's always interesting to me when you get people like parents and that will support the arts 
because a lot of times it's not not supported. So is that is that something that you've kind of look, addressed in your book, or you 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 focus really on the people that that want that oh, understand that? I have a whole section about what to do if your child wants to go pro, and I say hint: it's not run the other direction screaming, because I think you're absolutely right, and it's complicated. There's so many layers to that. I think that. We're living in a society that kind of gives these teenagers this message that that they're supposed to want to go one direction and that, you know, when they're doing the arts, that's supposed to be a hobby, but not really a career. And they may not be even exposed to all the different options that they have if they choose to make it a career. And the same for the parents. So if a, if a parent comes to me and says, I am so proud of this kid. But I just, I don't, I, I don't want my kid living on my couch for the rest of their lives. They're going to be a starving artist. I say, okay, let's take a deep breath. <laughs> that is a big <laughs> leap. <laughs> so let's, let's roll back a little bit and let's talk about what does that mean? And what are your fears and what are you thinking? And I asked them, I said, well, you know, what do you think it means to be a professional actor? And usually the parents viewpoint of that is actually very limited. Understandably, they have no reason to know what that's going to mean or what it's going to mean to be a professional musician. And one of the things I like to do with them is I like to just start with, you know, first of all, you're giving your kid a mixed message because you're showing up at every performance. You're their biggest cheerleader. You're always clapping. If they say, I need a new guitar, you're getting them a new guitar. If they say, I need extra ballet shoes and jazz shoes, and you're, you're just doing all the things to support them. But then all of a sudden you're saying, but you can't do anything past this. Like, no, 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 no. That's confusing to, to them. <laughs> yeah, and you're respect kind of, it. Yeah. yeah. It undermines their self-esteem. Like, well, you've told me this thing is great, but now you're saying, what, am I not good enough to go on or it's not important enough to go on? So it's a very confusing thing that happens. So that's the first thing that I kind of want them to look at is, you know, kind of think about the messages that you're giving your, your child if you're having this reaction. But then the next part I want to talk to them about is, what do you think it's going to be? mean to be a musician. As we talk more, I start pointing out to them, you know, the skills your child has learned through this performing art, this creative art, whatever they've been doing, these are going to be applicable to so many different career paths. So even if they major in music and you're really worried about it, they're going to learn so many different skills that if they come out of it and say, either I can't find a job, possible, or I no longer want to do this in the same way I thought, they're going to have a lot of different options available to them. And the parents are usually sometimes kind of going, oh. I can't see it. Yeah. They don't really see it. Yeah, because like I can kind of give a story. Like I'm a musician, but I'm a software designer. That's my day job. <clears throat> People don't really understand sometimes music is very mathematical. Yes. And music has a lot of discipline. And music it, is a team sport, right? 100%. A lot of times in music, you have to work with other musicians. You have to work with producers. You have to work with arrangers. And so you have the same kind of team aspect that a sports team and everybody sees that a sports athlete could become a salesman or they could become a business director and they can run a company. And there's no issue about somebody in the NFL getting into business. Nobody sees that that's a problem, but with a musician having the same, well, they've got to market their music. They've got to market their art. Exactly. And so, and they have to work with people and they have to understand schedules and they have to be on time and the teamwork. There's a lot of things that people just, oh, that's foo-foo. They that's learn. Not, that's not disciplined. It's undis they have a tendency to think we're all, our artists are undisciplined. 
which is probably like the worst thing to think about. <laughs> is the And it's the polar opposite. When I say to people, I was like, okay, so you do realize that people who major in music, especially if they're going to major in some kind of performing art, they have to practice on top of everything else they're doing. And, and it's not going to be like the, I was learning it kind of on a casual level, half an hour a day practice. We're talking hours a day, go to any music school. There's a reason there's all these practice rooms because they are full. There's a reason there's a sign up on the door and you see people signing up for 3 a.m. times to be practicing drums. <laughs> that is the reality of what this is going to be. So exactly, you nailed it. And one of the things I also say to parents, if they have a child, and this is where I really see the panic. If they have a child who says, I don't think I need to go to school to pursue this performing art that I want to do. <laughs> Then I see meltdowns yeah. and I, again, deep breath. And I point out numerous things to them. I point out that, you know, well, first of all, you know, they, they're right. They may not need to, and it may not make sense for them, especially if there's someone who doesn't want the college experience. Now, if they want the college experience, that's a different conversation of it, but if they do not like school, have no interest in it, and they are deeply passionately driven by whatever it is that they're doing, then they may not. They may not need to. That doesn't mean we don't have a plan in place for them. That doesn't mean they're just going to now be standing on a corner busking and that's how they're going to try to feed themselves. <laughs> we can put a plan in place because yeah, exactly. all the things you listed that somebody's going to need as a musician, everyone needs if they're going to be in the arts and they're, you're going to have to learn to be an entrepreneur. You are going yeah. to have to know those skills. So I start talking to them about, okay, let's talk about the entrepreneurial skills that are going to be essential, whether they go to school or not, to have success in this and all those things you were talking about. And I will say, okay, well, maybe you do need to take a class, you know, on some understanding money a little bit better and how to run a business and yeah, how to- here or there. Yeah, yeah. You may not, it's a lot of times, like, if, if you think about it, a lot of musicians, like, we end up getting really involved in engineering. Yep. Sound engineering. Mm -hmm. And that is a lucrative thing to get into because they get into production work. And I'm a producer. And the idea is like, and there sometimes you can learn this by going to Berkeley or you can learn it by doing. Right. And a good example is like a 17 year old prince product produced his own album, his first album for Warner Brothers. And they mm -hmm. wanted Maurice White to do it from Earth and Wind to Fire. But Prince was so self directed. And he went and learned how to use the studio and play multiple instruments. So at 17 years old, he did all the production work and played all the music on his album. There are some people that are that directed. Yes. And so if you get that directed, that that that's a skill set that goes beyond just performance. Absolutely. You can apply that to a lot of things and you can actually make a lot of money. Well, <laughs> I do feel like the one I think huge advantage in the in the performing creative arts is that as a culture. Other artists value that. They're not so concerned about where did your degree come by, come from. They're concerned about what do you bring into the session room? What yeah. do you bring when it's time to do production? They want to know what are your skill sets. End of story. That to them is the only resume that matters. Is are you going to help enhance what is happening in this particular project? And when I'm talking to parents about, you know, this is a thing. This is, is it going to make sense to spend... $50,000, $70,000 a year for something your kid doesn't really want to do. In fact, I will have the conversation of, of if they really don't want to go to school for music, 
they may not even need to go to, for music. Maybe they go for something else and they do this as, as something else that they're doing on the side. If you're so concerned about the idea of a practical degree, and now as you and I are saying, music is a very practical degree. <laughs> There's not just music, but like theater. I actually, I was talking to someone very recently about this and I said, I find it funny because I feel like it's exactly the parents who were like, oh, I can't believe that that parent's letting their child major in a performing art who will in the next paragraph talk about the movie they just loved. Yeah, and I'm, they don't I'm understand about, how much is going on there because there's a lot of things like you could learn how to do Logic Pro yep. without going to school. You could yep. learn how to do modular synthesis and mm -hmm. you could learn, you could learn the, like, you know, a sound design. You could, yep. there's a lot of aspects under the covers of, of a production of, all kinds of things. And I've learned, I've talked to tons of people who do video games and never finished their comp sci, but they were just really passionate about coding, but they wanted to code things, not for an insurance company or a bank. Right. They, they wanted to code for a video game company. Something so they got, they got really good. And there's a lot of examples in, in the arts of people who didn't, don't have it from Berkeley, don't have it from some big name art school, but have talent that could exceed the people from the art school. And sometimes yeah. it's not measured in that way because people just, you know, Hendrix, Hendrix never went to school, Clapton, you know, there's tons of examples of, of famous artists all over the place don't have any degrees at all. And they just had a passion and they got really expert at what they can do because of their passion and the, and the level of effort they put into it because of their passion. Preaching to the choir. I mean, I say this to parents all the time and I say, you know, sometimes when I talk to them about this, they say, well, you are you anti-college? And I was like, we have a doctorate and three master's degrees between me and my husband in our house. We so value education. We understand education. I am saying, let's be a little bit open minded. Look at the culture we're in right now. Look at the culture your child wants to go into and know the individual. There are kids who absolutely need it because they don't have the discipline yet. And that doesn't mean they won't get there. They don't have to have that extraordinary discipline and focus because it does take a lot. So if they don't have it and, and you're feeling like, I think they just really need that structure and I need somebody who's going to say, you have to pass this level and then you have to do it, that's fine. But if you're looking at a kid who's showing you that they're already doing all of this stuff and they're willing to take the feedback, if I say to them, okay, well, what I want to see you do in the next few weeks is you need to find a class that's going to tell you about kind of some of the legal stuff that you need to understand. You need to find a class. And I go through this list of things and they come back like, well, I found this, 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 and this. I said, okay, this is a kid who is self-motivated and yeah, so wants to make it, you know? So yeah, that's what you find. You find a lot of times with like the independent artists. They Absolutely. go find, they find the artist to do the album cover. They find the booking agent. They find a way to travel. They, they, they do all the things that you would have thought they had to go to business school and they figure it out. And, well, and it's because they're so self-directed. They do, they know what they don't know and they figure out how to find it. Like going to the library or looking on the net or asking a question or asking somebody, well, if they don't, you don't know it, well, who knows it? And that curiosity is still the same level that you would have in college, except it's like they don't have to be in the classroom to learn it. They can learn it because they want to do it. Well, and, you know, that whole idea of birds of a feather flock together, they tend to be friends with other creatives. So, for example, what I will see with my son is among their group. This is this is my son who's a young adult in, in a band and doing some other things. 
he has a community of people around him who are great artists who will make a logo for people and somebody who wants to go into videography who's like hey no tr can we have a trade here if i video your show can i use this as an example yeah, on my I website it, they they find each other. They're driven. They kind of get a sense of, to your point, I'm not great at this, but I know there's got to be someone out there that's great at this. And I tell parents, it's the kids who are open to feedback who are going to be most successful. It's like, not that they can't get there, but it's like, but if your 17 year old is already ready to listen to, no, stop, you don't understand this. And they don't get defensive. They say, okay, show me. It's like, they're, they're going to do really well. Yeah. It's like when you, if you're a young band and you get your producer, your sound engineer, and they show you something you didn't understand, they show you about shadow vocals or they show you how to layer in different keys to get to an overall chord progression through different layering. And it's all this stuff you might not know because you didn't take theory, but once you actually start to do it and you start to see, Oh, I did this shadow vocal. Or I have this kind of chord layering, one note at a time on different tracks and it gets to a certain tone. There's some things you start to like, oh, they start to see the picture. They start to understand. They start wanting to understand what the, what happens on the board. So when the engineer does this, what does that do? Well, how does that affect the mix? How does that affect my song? And then they start to realize, oh, I need to be interested in this because this actually changes the color of what I'm doing. It changes the result and it adds or takes away from it. And so once they start to understand the means of production or whatever they do from a photographer, figuring out about filters to musicians, figuring out filters, there's all this like technical stuff. And either you want to know about it or you don't. And then you kind of defer to other people. And what you see with a lot of self-directed independent artists, they want to know about a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that goes into what they do because they have a vision for what they want to do. And they don't want to just leave it to somebody else to, to give them the vision. They already have a vision. Well, and that's where I think personality can come into it so much too, because you absolutely can have the super talented driven musician, but they prefer a more organized approach to stuff that, that person, I, I talk about this in the book too. I talk about how individual personalities and learning styles really come into how you're going to interact with somebody in the creative arts and how they think about things and what makes them most comfortable and so you can get somebody who's going to be just as successful, but they do think in a different way and they like the way that college organizes things for them. And they they mm -hmm. like that approach versus you get someone more like my middle son <laughs> who very much he he's a sponge. He loves to learn. He loves but he likes dynamic learning. He likes to be in the room. I was laughing mm -hmm. when you were saying something about the soundboard and he just had an experience. He's working on learning Logic Pro and he had a lesson with someone. And he kind of came up going, I finally have a word for this thing I was doing. There's a word for it. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big discovery. When you start to realize how you shape things, you know, I, I do sound, I'm a, I, I have tons of modes, if you know, like analog synthesizers, yep. and they mm -hmm. build from the waveform. And it's kind of a lost art because everybody samples and uses a lot of digital stuff. And this is kind of old tech. And I just got so caught up in it. And, you know, I, 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 I wanted to own one for a long time and I finally got one. And then I just watched every tutorial I could find on YouTube. We'd go to music stores and find these guys working at the guitar center that happened to be like recording engineers. Mm -hmm. And then I would bug them. 
<laughs> like, hey, I got I finally got my mortgage. Like, what does this do? What does that do? You know, and then you know, you just you take the whatever you can. You get kind of self-directed, but you, when you start to discover, you know, how to actually do it because you own the guitar or you own the keyboard, then you're not afraid to explore what it can do. Right. And and that's that's why a lot of people, you know, when you get a musician and they get their instrument, they get really caught up in it. Yep. Compared to somebody gets it and it puts it away because they yep. can't get to it. It's like, you know, you've got to create a person when they really are diving into like every little aspect of it to try to master it. And even yeah. your voice, voices like that, you know, it's vocalists are, are, are musicians and people Absolutely. and they have to learn how to use their voice and train their voice and not strain it and not damage it and learn how to, you know, project it. There's a lot of different things you can learn. Well, and I and I think just even going beyond musicians, if I think about which agreed with the vocalist, but if I think about like the kids I've worked with who are in musical theater and, you know, that whole idea of you're going to have to sing, you're going to have to dance and you're going to have to act. Oftentimes people come in strong with one or two, but rarely do people have this natural affinity for all three of them. But these kids who love it, they're like, put me in dance class. And yep, I'm going to have to start in the beginner class and it might take me twice as long, but I do not care because my acting is so good and my singing is on point. And if if it's the dancing that's going to keep you from being worried about whether or not you can cast me in one of these lead roles, I'm going to nail that. And, and they're willing to put that work in and that passion and that drive and hour after hour, which is why going back to when people kind of fear the idea of somebody deciding this is what they want to do with their life, I'm going... They're already showing you that they understand tenacity and sticking with something and hard work and that things may not come easily, but if you keep putting in the time, you can start to build a skill set up. So yeah, it's also yeah. I think it's also really interesting about creative people is they kind of realize they have to reinvent themselves and kind of remap their brain a lot. That, mm-hmm. that a lot of times you'll get to like you you like you said, if somebody wasn't a dancer, then they learn that skill. Mm-hmm. And then they might have to, for a role, like learn how to do comedy or a comedian have to learn how to do drama, mm-hmm. right? And you'll see that a lot of times comedians can get into drama really well. And you would think, they, how could that happen? But there's a lot of cross-disciplinary capabilities Absolutely. with the artists. They can yeah. cross different, like, lanes. And it's really dependent on, like, how, like, open they are to, like, more of an exp- expansive life. Absolutely. And you'll see that the very successful like artists, they'll, they'll do like roles. There's like, wow, I didn't think they could even do that role. And you'll you know? see that developing even when they're really young. On the professional side, watching some of these kids that, you know, as my children were kind of dabbling in that area, you would see the kids who came close to a role but didn't get it. And they were already, I mean, these are 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds recognizing, oh, I didn't have that skill. Mom, I need an improv class. Okay. Got it. That no problem. We'll put you in an improv class. So they have that awareness. And again, that drive where they can say, what was it that kept me from getting this? Hmm. Okay. I need to go develop that skill set. And they enjoy it. Even when it's not the easiest, they, as, if, as one of my sons said, he's like, you know what? Even when I don't enjoy it, I understand the value of it in most cases. Like it will come up somewhere else and it will help me out that I learned that. And I think that's a skill set. Like a lot of times in life, like I'm in IT and everybody would seem to understand about IT is we have to reinvent ourselves 
because it's exponential the growth in the tech, right? Mm-hmm. So what I used to have to do in the eighties is not what I do today. Absolutely, it's not mainframe based. It's like it's like you know it's based on all kinds of blockchain or AI, and so you know blockchain was the big thing. Now it's AI, mm-hmm. and there's always something. And in the whole paradigm shifts and what you knew 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, doesn't apply. But I find that my creative capability as an artist, I like to kind of push it in my art. And I do the same thing in my work. And I'm not like badly aching that I got to learn AI. You get people around, they're like, oh, now I got to learn this. Now I got to learn that. And they don't, they won't really want to do it. And I've seen like the creative type of person is less likely to be kind of badly aching about I don't want to do that (laughs) because they've learned that they have to and that that if they want to not just have to that they enjoy that process they they kind of say okay i'm not familiar with this but let's try it let's just see what happens and i do think there's something about kind of to your point with it like there's that history they do understand they can see the evolution of how things have changed they understand the value of understanding the old way of doing things and they understand the value of innovating so they kind of know that they've got to walk that line of balancing the two, of having that respect and knowledge base from how it used to be done, but also where are things heading? And AI, you know, I'm sure you hear it with musicians. There was for a while that panic of what is AI going to do? Yeah, they still have a lot that don't like it. <laughs> right, right. But I think that, you know, I we have tried very hard, my husband and I, to kind of give our kids a sense of don't fear it embrace it, learn it, learn to use it as a tool. How can you plug this in with what you're doing now and help it take you to the next level? I think it's like, you know, people railed against samplers. When samplers showed up, people said, that's the end of music. And AI is just another kind of sampler. Mm -hmm. it's It's a smart sampler. And so we've already seen in the hip hop world, in the EDM world, you can be super creative with the human element with that sampler. Yep. You can end up giving us stuff like Dale Soul, which yep. is super innovative. Or the Bomb Squad, you know what they, they, they the use of sampler isn't just a cut and paste. It's how you layer it and the artistic decisions you choose. And so when you use AI to make choices, I'll give you an example. Like if I use AI with my mixing board. Mm-hmm. And I use an AI-enabled mixing board, and I say, I want something to sound like Fleetwood Mac rumor mix. And then maybe I want it to sound like Blonde on Blonde, or I want it to sound like an Elton John um, you know, album. It will give me different 30-second bits of what it sounds like. And then I can make choices. Right. That on parts of this song, I'm using one mix. 30 seconds into it, I use another one. That's an artistic choice, but I'm using a tool. Like AI, because yeah. you can still be super artistic with it. It's not taking away your human decision. And you that's where still that creativity is going to come into play. That creative mind of, ooh, now they gave me this mix, but what can I take this mix and what else can I do with it? And what can I turn it into? So absolutely. If you could, and, and it is nice to see, like that's part of why I love what I do is I get to be surrounded by these really creative people and it's fun the way their minds work and their openness to new ideas and new ways of processing things. It's a really fun space to be in and talk to them. And, you know, when I get a teen who's like, my parents are absolutely pissed. They don't want me to major in music. I say, okay, let's use your creative mind to come up with a creative argument 
that is going to be persuasive and convincing to sell the story. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like let's make a plan and it needs to be creative and you kind of, yeah, you kind of do have to blow their minds with it. But if you do that, they might at least be open to the dialogue and they can kind of come back and say, you're right. I always make them throw in there too. Like is what you thought you were going to do at 17, what you're doing now. And are you doing what your major <laughs> was? Because when I point out, I'm like, you know that the, I think it's like 40, it's between 40 and 50% of people are not in careers related to their major. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's okay. You can pivot. We want to pivot. If I tell you you're stuck, like you have to make this decision at 16 and you are 100% stuck in only that for the rest of your life. Most people get, that doesn't sound great to us. That sounds a little boring. So they can start in this and they can also pivot down the line. It's okay. And they're super creative individuals. So they'll probably be very adept at pivoting. Yeah. I've run into a lot of people that, that really pivoted And you know, examples are like, if you're a liberal arts major and you went for like sociology, right. And then you end up working in it. Well, that's mm-hmm. not a comp side degree. That's not a mathematics degree, but guess mm-hmm. what? In IT, there's a role called a business analyst. And the business analyst basically writes research papers. Mm-hmm. And somebody who has a liberal arts background that did blue book test and has to write a thesis has to be in that kind of like a creative kind of yeah, mind, in that yeah. kind of Socratic method. They're the perfect person to do that because they're going to say, well, why, why can't I do that? Well, mm-hmm. how could I do that? What mm-hmm. options do I have? So they write it in that kind of way. And in IT, we love people who come from who are like artists and creative people who come with a different point of view. Exactly. That, that makes us think and say, oh, we could do it this way. And so it's like, I think some other businesses might be more narrow and not see the, the value in that. But I think it, as time goes by, we, they're starting to realize. I see a lot of CFOs and CIOs and CEOs say, oh, we want creators. They well, want them. But then it, they don't encourage you. <laughs> it's very similar to what um, an industrial organizational psychologist does. And for IO psychology, the job is to go into organizations and kind of help, you know, find out where the efficiencies are, where the inefficiencies are, what, you know, what's the culture, what can we do to make it a better culture? And part of it is just we come at it with such a different mindset and approach and can see it from a different angle that there are things to us that we might be jumping in and saying, this is so obvious, this is what needs to happen, that they're going, why didn't we see that? Well, yeah, we're co- everybody here has kind of birds of a feather flock together. You have people with kind yeah, of a similar mindset over mindset. here. <laughs> yeah, you know, different mindset. They have this, this is, this is how we've always done it. Well, and maybe so you're what? thinking. Yes. Yeah, a lot of times the way you'll run into is like, if you get these guys that are in a total linearly or thinking, well, a lot of times today, because of tech, we can have non-linear capabilities that we basically is kind of like a stream of consciousness, right? And it's coming all over the place. It's starting from everywhere or it's like agile, which means it's not coming from point A to point B. It's like moving at different points all at once and you have to track that. Now because we have computers, we can track it. But the idea is that sometimes creativity doesn't start at the beginning. It starts in the middle. It starts at the end. It starts at some different points. And, and a lot of times everyone wanted to put it, at this easy linear type of thinking, but that doesn't work all the time for complicated things. And so I, I the artist mind tends to work that way. It's kind of, it comes out of like the, the muse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. harder to track it. 
Yeah. And the way that they learn about things can be kind of nonlinear too. Like they can start in the middle in a way that somebody who's very linear in their approach would have a very hard time starting in the middle, but starting in the middle for some creatives, not a problem. They just opens up more possibilities to them. And then they double back and look at the beginning and go, Oh, okay, well, here's how we got here. And that, and that's what I really try to, to say to parents is I was like, you know, these are really fun individuals. And if you, if you can lean in and just really focus on what are their strengths and what are they bringing to the table that other people aren't bringing to the table, it can really open up your mind to, we need the balance of all of this. We don't just need yeah. only one way of approaching things. We need all of this. And that's what makes for a really successful, rich society. Yeah, it's definitely the problem is like we've been so niche oriented that people don't want to train anymore. I remember when I first got into business, I would go through training and take training like an athlete. And I was like, people want somebody who's like a ready-made person. They already have the all the skill set. They got all the certifications. They got 10 years of this, five years of that. They're not willing to take a chance on, like when I started, they took a chance on somebody. I didn't know. I went to a company, a computer software company, and I didn't have a comp sci. I didn't have any of that background. I came in like with this kind of liberal arts degree, but they took a chance on me and then I'm, I've been in it for like 30 years. So the, que the question is like, like just because you're on paper, it looks like what it should be. You got to talk to people. You got to analyze goes, what they say. <laughs> I would argue it's even bigger and deeper than that. And, and it's one of my pet peeves. We are asking our young people to niche down way too early. We're getting 13, 14, 15 year olds who feel like they, they can't try something new because they didn't start it at eight or nine. And I'm talking sports. I'm talking the arts. It, it's a rampant thing in our culture now that these kids don't have the ability to say, um, I want to try soccer and I want to do baseball. Oh, and I want to do guitar because the bar is so high for so many of these things so young that if they're not oh, yeah, hyper-focusing so on that one thing, that one thing early and they're working on it out of season, if it's a sport and if it's if it's an instrument, they're not going to all the camps and doing all the workshops and doing all the in-services. It's a real problem. And the example I give is that, you know, I have an eighth grader and we were just doing his high school planning. And I was having a conversation with a friend who has a child who's about to graduate and he's brilliant, really smart, well-rounded kid, has brings a lot to the table great grades, but it wasn't until he gotten through school for a bit that he realized that he might have an interest in engineering. And the fact that this child who has such incredible grades and all the things you think you'd want to see, like he's just, he's just gonna, he would be an absolute asset to a college campus. But because he didn't start in eighth grade, making the decision to start the engineering track that he may yeah, not be able to get into school for it is just mind blowing to me. And yeah, it, it's, it's really narrow. concerning. And that and that's, again, where I think I have such a passion about supporting the creative arts and supporting creative people, because it's kind of a little bit of a pushback against that. Like, let's let's allow a little more breathing room here, people. Well, I think yeah. it's like thing about perfection. And I've always been somebody that's into like the idea of the happy accident mm -hmm. or the idea that if I if I sit as an artist and I just free flow a poem into a a recorder and didn't really plan it out the bars and the meter and you know and i go and i plan one out but a lot of times what i find is i kind of free flow 
actually comes out with a better result. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people that want to plan everything to the yeah. nth degree. They got to make it perfect. And the computers today allow you to make things pitch perfect, tempo perfect. And they kind of lost the fact that if you listen to a lot of art and look at a lot of art, it's not about the perfection. Mm -hmm. It's actually about the kind of imperfections. Mm -hmm. The timing yeah. mistakes. Were Some of my mistakes. oldest like, son's favorite is. music is exactly it's that. It. He likes the music before everything was totally perfect. Because that's that's what's that synergy that brings the magic. It's those tiny little, yeah. just in the moment, emotional right. things that occurred that weren't perfect. But man, were they good. Yeah, it's the choice that you make that I heard like Elton John, a good example with these people being perfect. Yellow Brick Road, everything's third, fourth take. Today, everybody goes like 10, 20, 30, 40 takes. Absolutely. And what Absolutely. I find as an artist, the, the further you go away from the original intent, the more you dilute it. Mm -hmm. And then you, as an artist, you start to like question your work. It's kind of like a, a imposter syndrome. And then you end up destroying your work. Because the, the earlier versions are actually truer to your vision, but you were scared of it. And then you don't give the world that kind of vulnerability. And to and me, the vulnerability is the core of any artist. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that with teenagers, especially, I really have to talk to them about because they're so scared of the vulnerability. And I do talk to them a lot about why is that and what's going on. And I was like, you know, when you open the door to vulnerability, you also open the door to shame. And that's the, the scary part is that is somebody going to judge this if I really put out exactly what I was thinking or feeling or hearing in my head? Are people going to judge it in a negative way? But I can also get them to understand that the music that they probably love the most has some kind of openness and vulnerability involved in its creation. And they didn't tamper with it. They didn't, you know, re-record it out of it until it was perfect and it lost that raw, real yeah. Yeah, essence raw. to it. Yeah, that you get from like everything before, you know, the computers really took over. Even into the 90s, you were still getting it. And then by 2000, it started to drop off. And and you're like, I'm just, I listen to stuff from the 70s and the 60s, even go back to the like bebop and go back to the, you know, flapper era, 30s on vinyl. And it's like this, you know, yeah, it's not a perfect mix. Yeah, there are micro mistakes, but I don't look at them like as timing errors. It's like that actually is kind of like why it's good. Like when you do a paint and you make the layers, like, is that really a mistake? Or is like, like that's just what it is. It adds to the texture of it. And, and that's yeah. a hard thing for our teens who are already feeling so much pressure to be perfect in so many other ways to really get them to let loose and engage in that kind of vulnerability when we have the technology to make it perfect. But getting them to see that sometimes something that's perfect is a little bit boring and it's not very yeah. authentic. And one thing I like, to, yeah, the one advice I have for musicians is like, don't d just use your DAW, get a hardware recorder, a multi-track and just put it in as you wrote it. Mm -hmm. and, and just use a multi-track, put it down, and and let it be what it is and 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 like learn the song yeah. instead of doing it on the grid actually play it into the multi-track and you'll see that there's it's not perfect but it will probably have a real emotional impact and as a producer i always show people like if we just use this old style 70s 80s type of recorder that's not digital 
and capture what you're trying to do. It will feel really like a live performance, even though it was recorded. And that will be core to getting you the kind of feel that you're trying to get. <laughs> because there's going to be vulnerability and authenticity there. Yeah, it's just using old tech. And mm -hmm. the old tech you find it at the pawn shop. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not expensive. It doesn't cost $2,000. Right. Some of this stuff is really cheap. You get it for like 50 bucks or 99 bucks. It's like, so a lot of times it's like, it doesn't always cost a lot of money to actually do your work, do your art. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that you can get stuff. And it's, it's not even, you know, you could use a plastic guitar. You could use whatever. It's like Jack White. You use like a $100 Sears robot guitar. It's part of the reason I love, I love when the roots stuff with Jimmy Kimmel and they play those like the kids instruments because it really does make the point about it's not about the, the $7,000 guitar. It's yeah. about <laughs> a whole lot more than that. And yeah. that's another thing I will use with teens. Is I kind of use as an example of you can you can be great at what you do, even if you don't necessarily have all the best equipment. If you're genuine and you're authentic and you're having fun with it. Yeah. Fun. Fun is the main thing. Like I always mm -hmm. tell like a lot of young artists, like, I know you have to have discipline, but if you're not having fun, then like, how is this going to work? Like you've got to be kind of passionate about it. Do you want to be there? Are you, are you showing up because you feel obligated or are you showing up because you have something to say right. that you think the world needs to hear? Like I always kind of want to get somebody kind of keyed up into the world needs to hear what you have to say and you have a unique vision. Mm -hmm. And we're not trying to clone somebody else because they already did it. Right. Exactly. I want to hear what you did, what, what you what, have to say. What <laughs> is your unique voice? And and getting teens to understand, trust me, you have a unique voice and it is a valuable voice. And we need to hear your voice. Yeah, that's real important. Cause that that keeps a lot of people, that'll keep you here if you're getting depressed. But if you get people that will actually build you up instead of tearing you down to haters. You know, like you don't got to worry about the haters because the law of attraction, if you put something out in their world, don't just focus on the people who say I hated it. Focus on the people that open the doors because you put it out there. Yes. And and I when I talk to teens about that, I, you know, I, I know we're going to have to wrap up here shortly, but I'll talk about the reticular activating system and how it it your brain's working against you. It's going to screen out the positive and it's going to it's going to focus on that negative. And you've got to learn to retrain your brain not to do that because there's always going to be, if you're putting out something authentic, then there's always going to be someone who doesn't like it. That That's just, that's how you kind of know if it's so bland yeah. that nobody has an opinion, then it's so bland. It's not going to resonate with anyone. But if you're getting a negative reaction, that means you're getting also people who love it. And that, that tells you you've hit that auth authenticity and you've got to ignore the naysayers and really train your brain to hone in on the people who get it and who support you, who are like, that I want more of that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, we are kind of at the close because I have another podcast, but I want to let people know that parentingtalent.com is a URL that will be fully clickable where we're published everywhere podcasts can be listened to or heard or, or watched. And um, if people click on that, what do they find a way to, to talk to you or get your book? Or is that your central location for everything? That's my central location for everything. So that's where if they want to meet with me to do some kind of coaching, they can do that. There is a link to the book. It, it, it So everything that they want to know and be able to access is going to be on that site. Awesome. So thank you again for being a guest on a Fam Electric Ghost podcast. I appreciate it. I hope everybody checks out parentingtalent.com. 
if they have uh, you know some familiarity with what we discussed today and they, they want to get in to like some solutions or figure out your story or you know different ways that they can to help their their family with with this uh, the whole idea of having talent in your family and how you can at best cultivate that i think that's a, a positive thing so thank you again for being the guest on the show thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed the conversation